0: We know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. All right, it's time for our sermon, you guys. We got a special opportunity today, okay? And I got to give you a little bit of history. Over 20 years ago, I came here to Colorado from Washington, and I started doing our college ministry at the Annex on the CU campus. There was a sophomore that walked in. She, she came in and, and she, she didn't have much of a faith at that point, she was putting it together, trying to figure it out. As she did, then she started to look at possibly helping out in our, in our ministry. She applied for our student internship. And so if we got, she got the student inter- internship, internship, her name was Beth Putnam, okay? So Beth comes in, and, and man, she is on fire for, for her faith and growing in her faith. She wants to just go hang out with students and help them. She has such a passion for making it right and holding the big picture right out in front of us. And, and, uh, and so at that point, I'm just going, man, she, she would be so great in vocational ministry down the road. you know. And I wonder what God has in store for her. Well, let's fast forward 10 years. 10 years later, she, uh, we, we start Ascent Church. Well, now her, her, she's Beth Lillstrom, and so it's Beth and Cody, and they decide to come here with their two little kids. And then there was an opening on the, on the staff, and she applied for it. And, of course, I just thought, oh, gosh, after how she knocked it out of the park ten years before, we got to have her on staff. And then, and then probably three or four years later, she became our executive pastor okay so so as executive pastor beth has brought all the things that we have so um so loved that i've seen for all these years she has she was she's done this, such a phenomenal job of making sure that everything's just Super, super on the up and up and 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 helping us to drive forward. She embraces the vision of our church. She pushes all of us and and, and makes sure that we're doing it right. She has, um, she has so carried the ball with our business with our building stuff, you guys. She carried this ball through all of this of the red tape and everything to the point that we're now in construction. Beth has done such a fantastic job with that. <laughs> But here's the deal, here's the deal. Over these 20 years, we have become very good friends and the part that I know that you haven't seen as much as I get to see is Beth as pastor, as executive pastor. Her love for Jesus, her love for people, her love for people on the margins. It is so obvious to Jackie and me as we've seen her grow through these years. Today, we get a chance to hear from our pastor as she gets to preach for the first time in the nine years she's been on staff here. This is this is her first time, and we can't, I can't wait for you guys to get to see the pastor side of my friend Beth Lister. It's Beth Putnam in my mind. It's still Beth Putnam on my phone. It's so great. It's not Beth Lister on my phone. So you guys give it up for Beth, okay?
1: Be. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Most of what you just said was true. So that's good. I feel like we're doing okay here. Um, Also, I wanted to um, just take a second and say um, thank you for letting me take up this space today, Bill. It's an honor to get to be here. Um, I wanted to um, first say good morning. Welcome. We're so glad you're here, both in the room and online. So great to be with you today. I also want to do a special shout out to all of our middle school students who added a little extra color as you walked in, you might have noticed there's some toilet paper hanging from our nine square and from kids check-in. Every year, our middle schoolers at Altitude on Wednesday nights get to teepee our building. It's a great moment for them to have a lot of fun in a space that normally is a, like, ooh, we don't wanna mess this up. So thanks guys for adding to it. Also, we see you in the Altitude Lounge over there. Thanks for being here today too. Um, So I am so grateful to get to be in this capacity with you today. I'm excited about what God's given me to share with you and for us to learn and grow together, both about ourselves and about God. But I want to start by first showing you a couple of pictures of my family. Um, For those of you who have never seen me outside of a building update, I figured I'd let you in a little bit. So this is a picture of my husband and I when we were first married almost 20 years ago. We're celebrating 20 years in September and Bill wanted me to make sure he got credit for being the one who actually married us. So there's that. And then the second picture is my family this past October at Chautauqua. And that's my daughter, Greta. She's 16 and a junior and my son, Simon, who is 12 and a seventh grader. So another couple of things about me just before we get started, I um, started gymnastics at the age of five, became a competitive gymnast shortly after that and did that all the way through my senior in high school where I got to have my first midlife crisis where I realized I was not going to be a collegiate gymnast and I had to now rethink my entire life. So that was a journey. And then second, um, for all of my elementary schoolers in the room, I actually went to four different elementary schools. I went to school in Seattle, in Omaha, in St. Louis, and halfway through sixth grade, I moved to Evergreen, Colorado. So the two things that we always, when we moved, we always had to find a church, and we always had to find a gym for me. So that's kind of how I grew up. But enough about me. Um, Last week, for those of you that were able to brave the snowdrifts or join in online, Bill kicked off our series, More Than Us. This is a series about generosity, and our whole hope with this series is that we get to expand our definition of generosity. Now, Bill walked us through the feeding of the 5,000 people, or in his example, it was the Pepsi Center at an Avs game with a few—sorry, Ball Arena. It's always the Pepsi Center to me. I'm sorry. Um, At Ball Arena um, with— a few Costco hot dogs. He also talked about taking people on Costco runs and what does that look like. And he introduced a really cool word that I'm not gonna mispronounce right now. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I highly recommend it. But I get the opportunity today to lean in a little bit more into that series and we get to talk about what it looks like to have a generous posture. And I firmly believe that when we look at what the Bible says about a generous posture, that leads us into generous justice. So let's pause for a second and pray, and then we'll dig in. God, we thank you for being present here today. We thank you for this church that we get to gather together to be reminded of who and whose we are. We pray that you will meet each of us today as we wrestle with your words and how we live those out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Your posture indicates something about you, where your heart lies, what you're, where you're feeling motivated that day or not. I'm sure you all have had those moments where somebody is really leaned in and listening well and is totally engaged in the words that you're saying, and other times when maybe it's not quite so much that maybe they're not really tracking with you without them having to say anything. So I want you to think about a time and a relationship where you've really felt seen and heard and listened to well. What did that look like? What did that feel like? So today I want us to define generous posture and consider the factors that help describe what that position looks and feels like. I want us to start by looking at God's big story and how we fit into that. It's an important perspective that I think we need to begin this conversation with. Now, Bill did touch a little bit on this last week, but it's an important piece of the puzzle, so I want us to start there. So, here we go. In Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, we see the story of creation. Over six days, God created night and day and sky and land and seas and plants and the sun and the moon and creatures in the water and birds in the sky, and animals. And after all of those things, God said it was good. And then God creates humans in his image, and he says humans are very good, and tells us to be fruitful and multiply and rule over everything. As Tim Mackey in The Bible Project puts it, we are God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. In other words, every living thing Is in our care. Now, I think this is God's Uncle Ben moment from Spider Man. For those of us who love a good Marvel film, this is God's way of saying, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, with this great power and great responsibility, there are two important things to note. First, God creates every living thing and sets the whole earth up with an over the top generous love. For creation. And second, all humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness, no matter who you are. Again, because God loves us so much that we are God's image bearers. In fact, valuing all humans is a huge theme throughout the whole Bible. In Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Even our guiding scripture for our mission statement here at Ascent is Jeremiah 29, seven, and it says, seek the peace of the city that I have sent to you. Not our home, not our street, but the whole city. God is compelled by a love for the other and everything being at peace and well cared for. The idea of everything being at peace and well cared for is called shalom. We'll get to that later. But God's generous love allows us to also see God as a God of justice, a justice that is so generous that it goes beyond the Jew to the Gentile, beyond our zip code, justice to creation, not just people, a posture of love, care, and valuing of all living things. So God sets up this whole world and tells humans to care for it well. And then humans go and they fulfill God's word, the end, right? We all do it well, the end. Well, clearly, no. I live in this world. You live in this world. We've all seen the news. We know that we make mistakes and we are not very good at this. In fact, I think humans really are best at not quite doing the right thing we really have a hard time, especially around this idea of justice. So instead of trusting God and knowing that his love is sufficient for us, and it's a big, big love that values everyone, what do we do? Bill talked about this a little last week. We start moving into a scarcity mindset. And what's that first step? It's instead of trusting God and saying, I see what you have for me, it's going, but I've got these things over here that are mine, and I've got my people and my job and my money. And so I think, I think I'm good. I'm going to take it from here. I get it that I'm supposed to be over here doing this thing, but I'm, I want to give this a shot. I want to try this for myself. And when we start doing that, Not only do we build bigger walls and we try to keep ourselves locked away a little bit, but it also separates us from the other. And that's when we start undervaluing or devaluing the people around us. Now we see this all throughout the Bible. Humans again and again choose to not trust. And it starts with a personal interaction, but then it goes to families and then communities and then whole civilizations that create systems and structures of injustice. And again, this happens all the time. And because of God and his generous love for us, he gives us another gift in Jesus to actually show us what it means to grow up in a broken system, living under oppression, and show us how to trust God by sacrificially and generously caring for those around us. There's that generous justice again. If you stop and think this is incredible. We have been asked to partner with God and we screwed up instead of God going, oh, well, that was a good try. Maybe we'll, we'll give him a shot another time. He actually says, no, I'm going to try this again. Let me show you. Let me give you another gift. Come partner with me. So I also think this is why we come to church every Sunday. It is to be reminded of who we are and what god calls us to did you know that it's not just a box to check it's not just a reason the reason we don't do that is so that we get more money or something weird like that it's actually for us for us to be reminded so okay now that we have this big picture how do we define how to have a generous posture i want us to look through a few passages of scripture that gives us a glimpse of what god is calling us to the first is Mark 12, 30 and 31. This is the passage of scripture that's known as the greatest commandment. We join a religious scholar who's just heard Jesus answering some people's questions and he asks a question of his own. He says, which commandment is the greatest of all? Keep in mind as we read this together, Jesus is telling us to pay attention. In fact, he even says this is the most important. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. From the passage, we see that Jesus points us back to God's amazing, generous love for us. And it is our reminder to trust the love God has for each of us. Now, I don't know about you, and you might judge me a little, it's okay. I love a good rom-com. Whether it's a book or a movie, I'm a big fan And there's always something in those stories where trust has been broken at some point, and it isn't until someone's able to go, okay, I can can move through this, we can be in relationship, that they end up coming together, and then they always have a happy ending. Now, we know that life doesn't always have a happy ending, but I think there's some truth to that. Love really is a vulnerability moment where we go, okay, I have to figure out if I trust you. And this is a rubber-meets-the-road moment. For those of us that are called ourselves followers of Jesus, this is when we are actually putting our faith in Jesus and our faith is tested. So trust, I think, is step one of our generous posture. So now let's move to the second part of that passage. Now keep in mind, this isn't a part B or a separate thing. Jesus goes right into it, and love your neighbor as yourself. From this section, I think it's important to note first that we are called to actually love ourselves. Now, for me and a lot of people I know, it is really difficult actually to, Im- to embrace for ourselves the grace and forgiveness that Jesus actually extends to us freely. Think about how different your life could be and what it might feel like if you actually embodied the grace and forgiveness that's been extended and saw yourself as a beloved person of God. Instead of only seeing your past mistakes or our weaknesses, receiving God's grace and forgiveness is an ongoing daily remembering and embracing of God's grace. So, next, Jesus is also describing an active love. This is not a, I'll look out of my window and my neighbor walks by, I wave kind of love. This isn't a, I'm gonna sit in my home and wish my neighbors well and like their posts on Instagram. For those of us that are more introverted, unfortunately, that's actually not what we're called to. We are called to an active love, and in order to, know our na- or in order to love our neighbors, we actually have to know our neighbors. Micah 6.8 is a passage that we talk about at Ascent a lot, but there's a reason for that. It's because it clearly demonstrates the love for our neighbor that Jesus is describing. So let's take a look at that one. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I want to stop here for a second. I want to highlight a few words. To act, to love, and to walk. Now, these are all verbs, to do something. We are called to actively care about those around us, to show compassion, to love God, and not take ourselves too seriously or think too highly of ourselves. And if instead of letting our past hold us back... What if we learned our past, our, from our past and our mistakes, to actually see and connect with our neighbors more? It allows us to show up on a more real, authentic, and honest level, and we might not understand their circumstances, but we certainly understand what it's like to hurt someone or feel hurt or grieve or make mistakes, and connecting on that level is really powerful. So. To recap how we can have a generous posture so far. We're to trust God and love ourselves and to know our and love our neighbors through our actions. Jesus shows us through his posture, it is a generous posture that leads us to generous justice. When I said at the beginning that we were going to talk about a generous posture today, I'm guessing you probably weren't thinking, "Oh, clearly we're going to, have to do a talk about justice." But in doing research for today, I actually found that these two really do go hand in hand. So much so that Tim Keller wrote a book in 2010 called Generous Justice. And when asked why he wrote this book, he said this. The gospel of grace will turn anyone who truly believes it into a person who does justice for those in need. Doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but also generosity and social concern and a willingness to live a more modest lifestyle in order to be, justice, or to be generous to the church and to the poor. He goes on to say this, this kind of life reflects the character of God. So I want to add one more item to our list of generous posture, and that's this needs to be done in community. Now, I know when we think about generosity, we rarely put this in the context of community. In fact, I think it's more likely that we put it in the context of the passage around prayer where it says, go into your room and close the door and let no one know know what you're doing, especially when we talk about money. But there is a piece of this that in order to really know our neighbors well and in order to care well, we need to be in community. So I want us to take a look at one final passage of Scripture, and once again, we're in the book of Mark. This time we're in Mark 2, and now we find Jesus early in his ministry, and he's just come back to Capernaum. So let's take a look. We're going to start in Mark 2, verse 2. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, or he said to, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. So I want us to draw back to the beginning and talk about those friends that carried the man who was healed to Jesus. Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is a pretty remarkable decision that they made, and Mark doesn't give us very much detail about these four men, but I want us to imagine together that they're hanging out, and they see their friend, and one of them says, hey guys, I have this idea. I'm guessing one or two of them were like, sure, we're totally in, let's do this, sounds like a great plan, but I have a feeling there was at least one of them that was going, I don't know about this, I'm not sure that this is such a good idea, are we really sure this is the right thing to do? But he was probably convinced. And so they take their friend and they get to, the, get to the place that they know where Jesus is speaking. And they see this crowd. And now they're carrying him and they realize, oh gosh, there's no way we're getting into the store. And I imagine there's some stairs or a ladder. So now they're carrying their friend up these stairs or up a ladder. This is now a much bigger ask. Then they get to the top and they have to start digging to get their friend down. And this isn't just a small little hole. They said he was sitting on his mat, so it was a decent size. So they're digging, like actively digging. And also, can you imagine being inside that room as Jesus is speaking, and you see these like trickles of dust and dirt coming, and then all of a sudden there's this opening that comes, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. They, drop, they are able to lower their friend, which also, we don't talk about that. Was it rope? How did they do this? I don't know, but they get they get him down to Jesus. He gets to have this interaction. And as Bill mentioned last week, Jesus is okay with this interruption. That's a really important thing to note too. But so in this conversation, they get to, he gets to talk with Jesus. His sins are forgiven. And when you keep reading in the story, he actually gets healed. Can you imagine that conversation on the walk home when it's now five of them walking home? The level of elation, the joy, what are they talking about? What is is it that they're saying other than, oh my gosh, I cannot believe what just happened. So I bring up this story because I think it is such a great example of These friends who saw their friend and his social position and what that meant to be paralyzed, and they said, we want to do something to help. We want to bring you to Jesus. They are showing what this generous posture can actually look like. Loving and trusting God, loving ourselves, knowing and loving our neighbors through our actions. They're able to also maybe be pushed a little bit more and to see that their little bit goes further in community. And I think they were probably surprised by the outcome of actually what their actions did. So in 2018, I was able to help lead a group from Ascent to Cuba. And I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, but you almost always find yourself going, so we had this plan, and it's not exactly going the way that we expected. And we came up with this phrase and even a posture during our time there, and it just said, hands wide open, God, whatever you have for us, we're ready, let's do it. And we kept reminding ourselves of that, this hands wide open posture, especially in those stressful moments or those harder harder moments. And I think this is the example of the generous posture that we're talking about. So I want us to now move into, okay, if we've got this generous posture nailed down and kind of understand what does it look like for each of us to move into this idea of generous justice? And the question that I started with for me, and I want to ask it to you as well, is when is the first time you noticed injustice or even just differences in your life? For me, it might not be my first memory, but one that definitely comes to mind is I was in the fifth grade. Where are all of my fifth graders at? Um, But when I was in fifth grade, my friend Angel came home with me after school because we had our fifth grade musical that evening. Now Angel and I weren't super good friends, um, but I knew who she was, and she came to my house, and, and when she came over, I was kind of surprised, and I said, Angel, why didn't you just go home? And that's when I learned Angel I had to take the bus for 30 minutes to and from school every day, from the inner city of St. Louis out to Chesterfield, Missouri, where I lived. And at that time, I actually lived literally in a white- picket- fenced home in the suburbs. And at Highcraft Elementary School, we were one of the schools that students could, or families could opt in to have their black students take the bus and ride to my predominantly white school. And I didn't think of much of it at the time, but it's definitely something that stuck with me. That I was able to ride my bike or walk to school and my friend had to sit on the bus for 30 minutes each way. Another moment was I was working as a personal trainer and I had a client and as we were talking, she lived in uh, Louisiana and she and I were talking about you know, what, what does it look like to drink more water and eat more food that's healthy for us, and she said, I have lots of access to fast food around me, but I don't really want to do that. And as we kept talking, I learned that she actually had to take two separate buses to get to her grocery store. And when she got to her grocery store, it was not a Whole Foods. It was way more like a 7-Eleven convenience store style grocery store. I also learned that she and several of my other clients all, uh, didn't have clean drinking water in their home. So they had to buy bottled water. I, and at that moment, I had to totally recalibrate what normal is and what my expectation could be of my clients because I also knew that there was an economic factor in what I was asking of them and what I was recommending. I also did, started doing some research and learned that 23.5 million Americans live in food deserts. And of those, 2.1 million Americans live in a food desert without transportation, like my client. And a majority black neighborhoods are more than twice as likely as majority white neighborhoods to not have a supermarket. I also learned that approximately 2 million Americans live without clean drinking water in their homes. Now, these stats are from 2023. This is still what we're navigating today. In 2017, my daughter Greta was in fourth grade, and she went on a field trip to History Colorado Center. And when she came back, she kept saying, Mom, Dad, we really need to go as a family. And when we finally decided to go, because, you know, parents, it takes us a minute to get on board with our kids. uh, We went, and my husband and I learned so much. Cody is born and raised in Boulder. I moved to Colorado halfway through sixth grade. We both went to the University of Colorado, and we left this museum learning so much more about our history. We learned way more about the internment camp that was in Southern Colorado, that the mountains were super unsafe for people of color for a very long time, and that it's not by accident that Boulder County, Denver, and honestly, most of the places that I've lived in my life are white on purpose, not by accident. Now, I share these stories because it sparked a curiosity and interest in racial justice in me. And i've been on a journey of learning ever since that's moved me to following way too many instagram accounts reading books like be the bridge and dear white peacemakers listening to podcasts like nice white parents watching movies and tv shows like when they see us and selma visiting places like tulsa oklahoma and walking the grounds where black wall street once existed and partnering in as many ways as i've been able to with the work that maurice has been doing here at Ascent including participating in and bringing a group of women on Sankofa last year. Now these pictures are us at Beale Street in um, Memphis, Tennessee after getting to do a tour of, of that area and then at um, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. This tour through the Civil Rights era, or, um, areas allowed me to stand on hallowed ground and get to experience and learn from people who actually got to walk alongside Dr. King. Now, one of these leaders, um, well, actually, first, before I get to that, um, there are some amazing men and women, especially as a person who leads in a church. I was reminded of their work that was essential, both black and white, that led to the civil rights movement actually being successful in the, in getting voting rights and those kinds of things but we got to actually hear some from from some people who walked alongside dr king and one of them was jt johnson he's 85 years old and he was one of the freedom writers he had a specific thing to share for churches that i wanted to share with us today just because it's one of those things that really struck me he said i'd rather see a sermon than hear one more He said i don't want to hear about what god is doing in your life." I want to see what you are doing out in the community and out in the streets. I want to draw us back to the beat to, um, sorry, just totally lost my thought. (laughs) You know, we're going to just embrace the moment. Everyone welcome. Welcome. Um, it was a gift and an honor to learn directly from people who are telling their stories and carrying on their work to create a more just world. I was also reminded of the role that the white church has played throughout history in justifying slavery in perpetuating injustice after slavery. And even today by not talking about justice and defining more of what it means to love our neighbors well. So thanks for listening to a bit of my story. And I want you to know that I've been enjoying my learning and my contribution, but especially the relationships that have come through this work. And I am actually more fully myself today because of this journey. And I believe that this holy work of undoing of unjust systems and structures is for all of us, especially for us white people. We have work to do, and we cannot wait for our black and brown brothers and sisters to lead us and educate us. We need to come alongside and be and learn what it means to be an ally and we need to be ready to listen when our brothers and sisters correct us. We must do the work of loving, loving our neighbors through our action and as a church and individuals we have the opportunity to show God's over-the-top love when we decide to trust God, love ourselves and each other well and learn to grow and, together in community through no-strings-attached generosity. That is what it means to be for the good of our city. It is important to note, and I wanna make sure I'm really clear, generous justice is not exclusively racial justice. This is just one component that I've been compelled to learn more about, about but it's only one piece. Um, as, I, as I was thinking about this talk, there's one uh, particular quote that I really wanted to share. It's from Lisa Sharon Harper's book, The Very Good Gospel. And these words, I think, set up exactly what God meant in how he set up our world. So let's take a look. Shalom is what the kingdom of God smells like. It's what the kingdom looks like and what Jesus requires of the kingdom citizens. It's when everyone has enough. It's when families are healed. It's when shame is renounced and inner freedom is laid hold of. It's when human dignity bestowed by the image of God in all humanity is cultivated, protected, and served in families, faith communities, and schools through public policy. Shalom is when the capacity to lead is recognized in every human being, And when nations join together to protect the environment. Shalom is God's plan. And the work that God has given each of us to do. God designed our world for us to experience more. It's when our world goes from black and white into color. It's when we shift our posture and we say yes to what God has for us. The road was not easy for Jesus, and easy is not what's promised to us either. There's no one right answer, no simplest solution. No one political party is going to get this right. It's going to take all of us. It will cost you something, just like it costs those men something to bring their friend to Jesus. Your neighbors need you. Start somewhere. What you're passionate about will probably be different from me and the person sitting next to you. And that's because of the last gift that God gave us when Jesus left, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because of the generous justice work doesn't come easily or naturally to us, we have a tendency to actually overcomplicate this process by not, and not getting started at all. If you're not sure where to start, you can start with a simple prayer. God, give me eyes to see and break my heart for what breaks yours. I will tell you, an adventure awaits you when you pray this prayer. It might be as simple as going to the Gospel Night this month or going to the Art Museum on Friday. The good news is there's grace on the journey. You will make mistakes. It's going to happen. This is why community is so important. We pick up the pieces, we ask for forgiveness, and we keep going. I would love to walk with you as you get started, stumble, or need encouragement along the way to keep going. I can also tell you that when you get started on your journey, you can't unsee what you learn, and your current questions will lead to more questions. So let's embrace the generous posture of Hands Wide Open loving God enough to actually trust, loving ourselves, and loving our, loving our neighbors through having eyes to see and actions to show it. Remember, you are not alone doing this. Together, when all of us do our work, we can make a huge impact, and we can take part in, being shalo- in creating shalom and being peacemakers on earth. So be courageous, pray the prayer, And take your next step in a generous posture, whatever that is for you. As we sing this last song, I want us to choose whatever posture works best for you. You can sit and let this song be sung over you as you think about what that next step might be for you. Or it's standing and praising and thanking God for where you are and what's to come. Either way, that posture is your choice. But... Thank you for listening to me, and thank you for your time this morning, and I can't wait to see what God's going to do in each of your lives.